Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong. A warm welcome to Money Talk ahead of the long weekend on Friday the 29th of April. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. The US economy surprisingly fell into contraction in the first quarter of 2022 for the first time since mid-2020, partly due to trade disruption caused by the Ukraine war. GDP fell at an annualised rate of 1.4%, down significantly from the 6.9% rise recorded in the fourth quarter of 2021. Hong Kong's exports plunged in March by the most since January 2020, as COVID-19 restrictions in the SAR and lockdowns on the mainland weighed on the flow of goods. Exports fell 8.9% last month from a year earlier. That was a big miss from economists' consensus forecasts of an expansion of 2.5%. Imports tumbled 6% in March, the most since June 2020, compared to economists' expectations of a 4% increase. The Civil Aviation Administration of China said it expects around 2 million passengers to fly during the five-day May Labor Day holidays. That's down those 77% from last year as people's travel willingness is hurt by the current COVID-19 situation. And Taiwan's economic growth in the first quarter eased to the slowest pace in two years. GDP increased 3.06% in the first quarter of this year, compared with the same period in 2021, beating economists' forecasts of 2.9%. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management and Jack Su from Credit Suisse. With a view from India is Toby Lawson, CEO of Societe Generale India. Your stocks surged by the most in seven weeks on Thursday, helped by solid earnings from Facebook owner Meta Platforms. The S&P 500 gained 2.5% to 4,287. The benchmark index is down 5.4% in April, with just one trading day left for the month. The Dow added 614 points. That's 1.9% at 33,916. The Nasdaq Composite rose 3.1% to 12,872. The Nasdaq is on pace for its worst month since March 2020, down 9.5%. Shares of Meta surged almost 18%, its biggest rally since uh, 2013. And after the closing bell, Amazon reported revenue increased 7% during the first quarter to $116.44 billion, marking the slowest rate for any quarter since the dot-com bust in 2001. Amazon reported a loss per share of $7.56 after recording a $7.6 billion loss on its investment in electric vehicle company Rivian. Shares of Amazon tumbled 9% in after-hours trading. Apple's revenue grew nearly 9% on an annual basis to $97.3 billion in the quarter ending in March, beating analysts' estimates. But CEO Tim Cook warned of a possible $8 billion hit from supply constraints. Apple also warned that demand in China was being hurt by COVID-related lockdowns. Shares of Apple fell 2% after the close. 
In Europe, the region-wide Stock 600 index climbed 0.6%. London's FTSE 100 rose 1.1%. Chinese stocks made gains on Thursday after Beijing officials made further commitments to provide support to the country's economy. The Shanghai Composite rose 0.6% to 2,975. However, the Chinex in Shenzhen dropped 1.8%. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index rose 330 points, or 1.7%, to 20,276. The Hang Seng Tech Index rose 2.2%. Standard Chartered reported first quarter profits rose 6% to $1.49 billion, despite a weaker performance in its home market of Hong Kong. That was above consensus forecasts of $1.04 billion, Pre-tax profit in Hong Kong slumped to $144 million, down by two-thirds from a year ago as COVID-19 restrictions hit activity. Shares of Standard Chartered rose over 10% in Hong Kong. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil this morning is over 2% higher at $107.22 a barrel. Gold climbed half a percent to $1,894 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield rose one basis point to 2.83%. And the US dollar index gained 0.7% to hit the highest level in 20 years and taking the dollar's gains to more than 8% this year. The Japanese yen fell below the key psychological level of $130 per dollar after the Bank of Japan said it would carry out bond buying every business day as part of its stimulus measures to keep a lid on rising yields. The US dollar climbed almost 2% to 130.86 versus the yen. The euro fell to a new five-year low of $1.05. The British pound sank to its weakest in almost two years at $1.24.5. And it's at Hong Kong at nine Hong Kong dollars and seventy-seven cents. Offshore yuan weakened to more than six point six six. That's the lowest since October 2020. And Bitcoin is up to thirty-nine thousand seven hundred dollars. In Asian stocks this morning, uh, the ASX 200 in Australia up half half a percent. Shares in Japan are closed for a holiday today. The Cosby in South Korea is up a third of a percent, but futures markets indicating the Hang Seng is going to lose about 200 points at the Open this morning. Nine and a half. Let's welcome our guests on the phone from the UK. We have Andrew Ferris, Chief Strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management. Morning, Andrew. You're still trapped there. Oh, well, yes, yes, in a way, okay, but uh, not, not absolutely, not involuntary. But anyway, enough of, enough of me already, as I say, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and here in Hong Kong, we have Jack Su, Chief Investment Officer for Greater China at Credit Suisse. Morning, Jack. Good morning, Peter. Uh, let's start with these, uh, this U.S. data. Uh, the economy surprisingly fell into contraction in the first quarter of this year. That's for the first time since mid-2020, partly due to trade disruption from the Ukraine war. GDP fell at an annualised rate of 1.4%. That's down significantly from the 6.9% rise recorded in the fourth quarter. Economists were surprised. They'd been expecting a 1.1% gain for the quarter. And on a quarterly basis, GDP fell 0.4%. America's growing trade deficit subtracted 3.2 percentage points from overall growth as exports fell sharply by 5.9% and imports soared 17.7%. 
There was also a 0.8% annualised drop in business inventories, which detracted from GDP. Consumer spending remained healthy. That was up 2.7% from the end of last year. But prices increased sharply during the quarter with a GDP price index deflator rising 8%. Andrew, is the, uh, is the US economy going into a recession? You know, I wish I would have, it would have been so because I would have said yes, because <laughs> I'm down in forecasting that the Fed is not going to increase as much as it claims it is, and that, in fact, after perhaps uh, six hikes, uh, it will stop. Unfortunately, the numbers uh, doesn't say that as far as GDP is concerned. In other words, the economy is not in a recession. And actually, uh, Peter, I will take a slight exception that uh, the GDP drop has been caused by disruption of trade from uh, the Ukraine. Well, no, it isn't. Actually, there was a huge surge in imports and a relatively small increase in exports. So now, if trade is disrupted, you cannot have imports increasing and exports not increasing. Mm. Imports increased because the economy was doing quite well. And this was also reflected with consumer spending. Now, if you import more than you are exporting effectively, I'm sorry, this is very 101 economics that decreases GDP and also inventory fails. If you accumulate inventories, GDP goes up. If you deaccumulate, GDP comes down. So in a crude way, it's technical. Okay. okay. So I, I, can, I cannot say, yes, they are not going to increase interest rates as much they say they are going to. Okay. Well, Jack, let me pose the same question in a slightly different way to you. Is, is the U.S. economy in stagflation? Because we've got inflation at 8.5%, the highest in 40 years, and an economic contraction of 1.4%. That meets the definition of stagflation, doesn't it? Um, well, I guess we may have a temporary one in the first quarter. And um, this has been a concern in the market for the last few months already, right? But the thing is, um, you can only consider, I guess, a sustained deflation, at least if you have two quarters of it. And what we expect to see in the second quarter, I mean, riding on the back of Andrew's comments, that um, the domestic economy in the United States is actually quite strong. The surprises in trade deficits and the surprise in the fact that the government has spent less money because the private sector now has almost fully recovered and the government is not spending as much money anymore. Um, so we do think um, the numbers is going to be a one-off. Uh, it's a bit of a surprise, maybe driven also partly by the strong U.S. dollar. Um, we think that the Q2 GDP in the United States will rebound to 2.4% as the net export numbers will recover. At the same time, um, answering the question about deflation, when growth is expected to rebound, we do think that inflation is expected to peak uh, this month. Mm. or even last month. I mean, no one has a certainty to exact day, uh, but we do think that CPI figure can come out this month much closer to what we've seen last month and start falling gradually back to the 67% level. In other words, the risk of stagflation is actually decreasing as we speak, uh, in, in our view. Andrew, I mean, a lot of hope being put on exports rising in the second quarter, uh, and therefore the uh, the U.S. economy will be saved from recession. But what if they don't? Um, the global economy is weakening, isn't it? China's economy is weakening. We're putting rather a lot of hope on external demand here. Yeah, but remember the the the, the between uh, inputs and exports uh, work both ways. 
you know, all you need to do is to have a relatively strong increase in uh, exports and at the same time imports not coming down. And in fact, this is not going to have a significant impact on GDP in general. Okay, with big economies like that of China and that of the United States, the difference between exports and imports adds very or subtracts very little. This one was an exceptional one, and that's why I tend to, I tend to ignore it. But Peter, can I, can I sneak in? Can I sneak in something? Of I am thrilled that the Japanese are cutting interest rates as if there is no tomorrow. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Headlines, central banks are cutting interest rates. Uh, sorry, are rising interest rates. No, they're not. The Chinese most definitely are not increasing interest rates. And the Japanese quietly said, we will actually increase the amount we are spending every time. Okay, actually they didn't. They say we'll carry on spending as mm-hmm. much as X every day in order to bring interest rates down. And I was looking at the two and the five year yields, they're all negative. But look at, look at the cost of that, though. They've sacrificed the yen in the process, haven't they? But, uh, Peter, it's nothing to do with sacrifices, 101 economics. You know, if uh, you don't control the quantity, you cannot control the price, of course. Mm-hmm. They're pumping in more, more, more yen, and therefore the price of yen comes down. Yeah, and they're doing it. Why? Because their inflation is still well, well below 2%. There is no global inflation. There is global inflation in the state, correction. There is inflation in the state. The Chinese inflation is about 1.5%. The Japanese inflation is struggling to make it go up to 2%. You know, I'm getting a little bit shut up. Actually, I'll shut up now. Right. <laughs> Jack, <laughs> well, what does this mean for the Fed? Um, they're talking about half a, uh, half a percentage point increase next week. Uh, some Fed members talking about three quarters of a percent at some point this year. Is the Fed still on track for its sort of nine or ten quarter point rate hikes, which means some of them are going to have to be half a percent? Well, I think the Fed will continue to hike rates by 50 basis points in May, 50 basis points in July, and a total of 200 basis points this year. What happened in the first quarter of GDP uh, is not going to change how the Fed thinks about the economy, because mm. As we said, it's going to be a one-off. The domestic economy is still showing very strong signs. The Fed should not be concerned with the growth of to be going into recession in the second quarter. You know, the Fed actually see the current numbers as a positive sign that um, this is uh, another robust number for them to continue the rate hike trajectory. And historically, uh, such numbers have not deterred the Fed from hiking. So we think it will continue to hike. The currency, which have been a very strong currency, uh, rising 8% um, year to date, uh, we do think uh, sooner or later the Fed will start opining on the strength of the currency. And that may lead into some, I guess, uh, rhetoric from the Fed governors after they end the blackout period uh, this week uh, and come up with after the Fed meeting, they will likely be opining on the dollar strength and how they perceive the dollar strength to uh, translate into the deficit and whether they like the current uh, dollar strength to be continuing. Um, so I think those are some of the comments we should look out for the Fed uh, to gauge the trend of, I guess, what, where the dollar yen is going and also what the Fed would be doing in the way hikes in the coming quarters. Andrew, how, how problematic do you think it is for the U.S. economy and the Fed, uh, this surging U.S. dollar and, and the, the corollary of that, of course, is that the yen is collapsing, the Chinese yuan has uh, slumped as well. There's, there's almost like a race to the bottom in Asia now, isn't there? Yeah. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down, slow down. Uh, first and foremost, I'm, I'm, I'm answering your question 
but slightly tangentially. You know, one of my, actually, after my lovely wife, which is my top, top, top favorite girl, okay, Lagarde comes well close to 58 down the line, and she became even more favorable because she said, what's the point of raising interest rates? They're not going to do anything on commodity prices, on gas, and on oil. Well, tell that to the Fed. Okay, so I, I completely agree with you. It's completely self-inflicted. All right. They decided that they have a huge inflation problem, which is not domestically driven, and they're trying to treat it with increases in interest rates. Well, good. Good luck to them. Okay. Jack, let, let me ask you about the markets out here, because I want to get your thoughts on, uh, on China. Uh, the Shanghai Composite, it was up yesterday, but it's down 8.5% for the month, on track for its biggest monthly loss in six years. Year-to-date, the index has lost over 28% in Hong Kong. Uh, the Hang Seng is down 7.8% in April. That's its third straight month of declines, and it's down over 13% year-to-date. And if you look at the tech index, that's plunged over 28% year-to-date. Obviously, stocks are looking cheap, that, that's for sure, well, on all sorts of valuations and metrics. Uh, but sentiment seems to be shot to pieces. Foreigners are selling. Any sign at all that we've reached a bottom? I think we may be at the bottom right now. Um, and let me give you the reasons why. I mean, the, the news you just announced to us about the numbers of year to date have really hurt our feelings. Uh, we don't like to hear it too much. Um, the, <laughs> the situation now is um, investors have lost confidence in the amount of stimulus that is coming out from the central authority and how that will impact earnings. At the end of the day, um, the disruptions about lockdown cannot be canceled by any stimulus. We, we do need to see the end date to when the lockdowns um, could end. Um, at the moment, um, there is, I guess, a loss of confidence in how China is executing zero COVID policy. And, and the loss of confidence is not because it's not going to work. It's because I think many foreign investors have got used to living with COVID policy. And they cannot estimate or cannot put a finger on how civil COVID policy is going to work with Omicron. I mean, our take is, why, why do you think it's a bottom now? Because while China is proving that zero COVID, COVID policy is working, because in Shenzhen, uh, people are almost living normally, because as long as you test yourself every 72 hours and queue up for, I guess, 30 minutes, uh, you can live a normal life and, and go and get in the restaurants and uh, spend your money in most places. In Shanghai, numbers have fallen again on a daily basis, and uh, it's proving that the lockdown is working. Uh, if we fall at this kind of rate, uh, we will not be surprised that Shanghai lockdowns will eventually end, uh, I guess, in the next three to four weeks. And then in Beijing, uh, they found less than 100 cases. Uh, they have locked down the entire, I mean, mo- a lot of the province. Uh, it means that if this day follow the path of Shenzhen, um, then the lockdowns will probably end in the next three, four weeks. Uh, and so I think that um, in terms of capitalists, the concern people worry about, uh, investors will eventually find out that a uh, number of cases will fall back to very low numbers. And uh, we will still have some mild... But, but what, happens when they, what happens when they spike again, as they in, in, inevitably will do? Does China have to go through this all over again with all these severe lockdowns? Because the economy can't stand that, can it? Well, the economy will continue to do rapid testing. I mean, testing every three days, like Sanjun, for most of this year. And that means they will be able to limit the lockdown effect to very small areas 
in different places in China throughout the year. Mm. And then we expect China potentially, uh, once Paxlovid become widely available, once vaccination of the elderly population rises from currently 50% in China to closer to 80-90%, then we think the condition for China to live with COVID could be satisfied and China policymakers may consider the switch into living with COVID next year and the outlook then will increase further uh, for Chinese economics. Andrew, what do you think? What's it going to take to get confidence back? A lot of talk about stimulus, but not so much action so far. I take, I have three points. One point is, is that once you turn a medical issue into a political issue, okay, you have already lost completely the, the, the scenario. You have completely lost, lost the plot. Okay. And this is a clear choice. Okay. This is, this is politics versus, uh, versus nature. All right. Fair enough. That's, that's the way it goes. Uh, the second point is, is, uh, once also you lose track that you have a strategy and the strategy is to bring down COVID to zero. And then uh, you have uh, tactics to do this. And one of the tactics is lockdown. The other one is uh, rapid vaccination and so on. And then suddenly the tactics takes place completely over the strategy itself. In other words, the tactics become a name on themselves. Okay, we are going to impose COVID, come what may. Then again, um, I'm seriously concerned as to the focusing. And the third point, this is by no means disrespectful to what the Chinese had achieved. What's the word? Had achieved. And that was a spectacular uh, uh, vaccination rate of perhaps over 80%. But unfortunately, Sinovac, the Chinese themselves freely admitted it's becoming rapidly ineffective. So effectively, they will have to revaccinate their whole population. You know, I and, mean, uh, I want to jump in here, Andrew, just yeah. because Hong yeah. Kong University did print the number, right? Um, it is effective um, to prevent severe um, symptoms and death once you have the third jab, and the effectiveness is equivalent to Pfizer. So just going by the numbers, I think that the concern about efficacy rates um, in the two shocks is obviously there. But once we have the three shocks, um, uh, we will be able to, I guess, highly uh, prevent most of the population from um, death or severe symptoms. I think okay. that number has yeah. been overlooked by foreign investors. Okay. Well, oh, good. Okay. Well, I'll be, I'll be, I'll stand absolutely corrected. Uh, I'm afraid I have to ask you this because I don't have the numbers. What is the third rate vaccination in China? I have no idea what it is. No, I I don't know either. And I'm afraid we're going to have to move on because sadly we're running out of time. But thank you both very much. Have a great long weekend. Uh, That's Andrew Ferris, Chief Strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management. Jack Su, Chief Investment Officer for Greater China at Credit Suisse. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Time's coming up to 8.26. On the phone from Mumbai, India, is Toby Lawson, CEO of Society General India. Welcome back, Toby. Yeah, thanks, Peter, and good morning to you. Thank you. Um, Let me ask you, first of all, about this surprise US GDP uh, figure. Uh, The US economy has surprisingly fallen into contraction, uh, down 1.4%. Is the US heading for a recession? I think it's a little premature to say that. It was certainly a surprise. I think the GDP forecast was about a plus 1%, so disappointing. But if you have a look in a little deeper, you'll see that imports uh, rose quite significantly through uh, the reporting period. And that can actually be a positive in a sense because 
companies are rebuilding inventories on the um, you know, picking up on the supply constraints. So that had a negative impact, and the consumer was still growing at 2.7 percent. So if you weigh the numbers up, it, it might be a bit of an anomalous number, uh, at least for this quarter. So we'll be watching it closely to see, more importantly, the consumer how they behave in the coming months. And what does this mean for the Fed that's meeting next week? Do they stick with their, their current plan, which is to raise interest rates by 50 basis points? I think that's, uh, yeah, I think they're pretty much locked in uh, to a, a series of uh, reasonably expeditious hikes uh, towards a neutral rate of 2.5% over the year, or at least uh, uh, into next year's where they're trying to get the rate to neutral. I guess the question becomes, with inflation so high, what is the real effective neutral rate for the Fed? Is it 2%, is it 2.5% or is it even higher? So economists are caught short uh, exactly where to pin this and uh, that volatility is going to likely continue to be disruptive for investors and financial markets. Uh, The risk is growing, isn't it, that the the Fed could be raising rates into a recession? Well, timing's everything, isn't it? I mean, uh, the argument is the Fed were too late to move uh, as inflation took off, and, of course, there were a number of exogenous factors like supply side, COVID, uh, war in Ukraine that really disrupted just about everyone. So... Uh, yeah, there's a sense that they're behind. And uh, as they chase this, these other factors coming in that are impacting growth from a global perspective um, might actually, yeah, run, might into, uh, determine how far the Fed have to go to rein in inflation versus the impact of growth. So, yeah, really challenging. I think the word from one of the Fed governors was it's a devilish conundrum hmm. right now, and that's indeed the case. And you mentioned the financial markets. There's all sorts of gyrations going on in different asset classes, but maybe not least currencies. The US dollar index, uh, which measures the dollar's value against a basket of currencies, now at its highest level in 20 years. Uh, the euro's at a five-year low. The British pound uh, at a two-year low. We've got the yen and the yuan plummeting as well. Is this starting to get worrying, what's going on here? Well, you see the impact of strong dollar through the import uh, figures. Uh, that's one uh, aspect. Um, yeah, yen... Uh uh, definitely uh, depreciating aggressively because the Central Bank of Japan is maintaining an accommodate, accommodative stance. Europe's suffering through being uh, closely relocated in the Ukraine. I, I think I sum it up by saying it's a great year for brokers and financial intermediaries and not so much for investors. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a bumpy ride. So uh, high volatility, high inflation, low growth, rotation of stocks and bonds, uh, war, supply chain, COVID, you name it. A pretty tough year for investors, Pete. This is, this is almost becoming a race to the bottom, isn't it, out here? Because uh, the Bank of Japan has really sacrificed the yen now to try and keep bond yields uh, not going above a quarter of a percent. So, so that's sending the yen lower. And then the more the yen goes down, the more the Chinese yuan weakens uh, as well. It's, it is almost like a race to the bottom, isn't it? Yeah, I think I feel that something's got to give a little bit. Um, and uh, I think our economic economists were thinking that in Japan, particularly as the yen depreciates aggressively, that it may have to be some give on yields. Um, they don't have as much of an inflation problem uh, still. And I think in a way, uh, the Central Bank of Japan are quite happy to import some inflation, to be honest, uh, into their economy. But, you know, the difficulty with inflation, once it gets moving, it's hard to stop, as we've seen uh, currently around the world. So we'll be watching that one closely. And, of course, the uh, European Union are you know, impacted not by just by supply and inflation concerns, but also by the war in Ukraine. Mm. Um, so lots of complications there. 
And also in the bond markets as well, it's getting a bit scary, isn't it? Uh, James Bullard, the Saluit president, Fed, said Treasury is not a very safe place to be at the moment. It's probably a, a bit of an understatement given what's going on in the bond markets. Yeah, but it's still probably the safest place to be if you think about it, uh, US Treasuries versus equities or versus other asset classes at times of crisis. And that's why you've seen probably bond yields start to peel off from that uh, 2.99 area uh, back towards mid-2.8s uh, because uh, people start to see dollar inflow going into bonds more than equities. Okay, Toby, well, have a good weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. A final look at the markets for this week. Uh, the SX200 is up 0.9% down in Australia. Stocks in Japan are closed. The Cosby in South Korea up about 0.9%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to fall about 150 points at the open uh, this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great long weekend. Money Talk will be back on Tuesday after the Labor Day holiday. The news is coming up next, followed by COVID update with Janice Wong. Just before I go, let me give you the weather forecast for today. Mainly fine. It's going to be very hot during the day. Maximum temperature of around 33 degrees. And the very hot weather warning is in force. Mainly fine and hot tomorrow. Uh, lower temperatures earlier next week. Temperature right now is 27 degrees, 81% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. Hong Kong people will get their first look at John Lee's policy platform this morning as the sole contender in next month's chief executive election unveils his manifesto. Mr. Lee's team is expected to release the manifesto on his online platforms at 11 o'clock as he briefs invited members of community organizations from across Hong Kong and takes questions from the media. Meanwhile, the outgoing chief executive, Carrie Lam, says Hong Kong will continue to guard against imported COVID-19 cases and avoid a resurgence of local infections as it prepares to reopen its border with the mainland. Frank Young reports. In an article, Mrs. Lam said that maintaining this COVID strategy can achieve the greatest anti-epidemic effect at the smallest cost while minimizing the impact of the epidemic on Hong Kong's social and economic development. She urged the public not to lower their guard, even though coronavirus cases are trending down in the SAR. She said the global COVID situation shows no sign of abating and the SAR still has hundreds of cases every day. Mrs. Lam also said that with the support of the central authorities, her administration will continue to push for an orderly return to normality while reinvigorating the SAR's integral role as a bridge connecting the mainland to the rest of the world. Health officials say anyone who's concerned about an elderly person who's undergoing hotel quarantine can apply to have a relative stay with them. The Center for Health Protection's Dr. Chuang Shuk Kwan made the remarks following the death on Wednesday of veteran act. Kenneth Chung, who passed away in a hotel room after a visit to Singapore. As far as I understand, uh, we have not received call from the um, person under quarantine. For those who have special needs under quarantine, they can apply to have family members to accompany them during the quarantine period and to take care of them. Officials said new COVID infections dropped slightly to 413 yesterday. 
Overseas, the U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres has criticized his own organization's Security Council for failing to prevent or end the war in Ukraine. Speaking in Kyiv, Mr. Guterres acknowledged this was a source of great disappointment, frustration, and anger. He said the UN was doing all it could to try to ensure the evacuation of civilians trapped in the besieged city of Mariupol. Mariupol is a crisis within a crisis. Thousands of civilians need life-saving assistance. Many are elderly in need of medical care or have limited mobility. They need an escape route out of the apocalypse. President Volodymyr Zelensky said he'd urge Mr. Guterres to help prevent what he called the deportation of Ukrainian civilians to Russia. The UN chief and his team said they were also shocked.